This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. If you think about your vertebrae, you know, there's about 24 little bones there, and they're all stacked one on top of the other. They like to be stacked and they like to be straight. And then we have these natural curves that go through our spine. But if we keep repeating bad postures over and over again, that stacking starts to go all haywire. And that is where we run into these problems. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss a vision for the future of health clinics. We'll hear how to improve your posture. We'll learn about the natural approach to thyroid health. And lastly, we'll find out whether COVID-19 has killed Toronto. But first, a little bit of business. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Our first guest, George Barakat, co-founded Jack Nathan Health in 2006, where he cultivated the company from a lean startup to a leader in Canadian healthcare, servicing over 2 million patients across Canada. George has helped shape a new healthcare format by improving access to quality primary care in state-of-the-art medical clinics in retail environments across the country. Today, George is an authority in healthcare and in business, and has traveled extensively nationally and internationally, building and sustaining important global relationships and partnerships. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you? I'm excellent, but I believe you're probably one of the happiest people in the world right now because you've really taken some major steps, and I think you have some big news, right? We do, and they are major steps. I don't know about the happiness part. My workload just quadrupled. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you're happy when you work. I know you. I am. And you know what? I believe what we're doing really makes me most happy, and that is that we're affecting change in healthcare. And that has to be probably the underpinning driving force that keeps me going is that we are doing things that haven't been done before uh, with regards to health care. So, uh, yes, so the big news is we are and have now a listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange. We went public as of last Tuesday under the symbol JNH.V, and we're over the moon. Yeah, that's exciting news. That's a lot of work to go public. In a, in a past life, when I was a lawyer, I, I can't say I dabbled in securities work, but I, I did do some work on the periphery, and I know how much effort it takes first to find the right vessel and team to put it all together, but the heavy lifting of getting the institutional investors involved and, and just taking it to market, just there's so much work involved. It's a ton of work, and honestly, it's not for the faint at heart. No, it isn't. 
I mean, I would probably never do it again. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll never have to. Uh, yeah, but you, a, but you have a whole bunch of new reporting obligations now, too, that you're public to, right? Yeah. I do, and we do, and everything has to be audited, and, you know, your company is now an open book. You're providing complete transparency to shareholders and uh, the markets and to your accounts and to the CRA, for that matter, which is okay because a company like ours who is aligned and partnered with Walmart Canada, it's not that big of a deal because everything was open to begin with. Sure. You know, we have a great partner in retail. We always are doing what's in the best interest of the customer slash patient. And really this public vehicle that we recently launched is just going to help us move towards our combined vision from a retail standpoint of retail medicine and how we actually provide uh, greater benefit to the patient ultimately and how the patient's own ecosystem today and in the future is going to be reflective of how they manage their family's care. Okay. Can you sort of summarize, for those who aren't familiar with Jack Nathan Health, essentially what is the business model from a consumer perspective? So Jack Nathan Health opens up medical clinics today in Walmart Canada and Walmart Mexico. We are opening up in other countries with Walmart. However, we are going to be embarking on erecting clinics that are outside of Walmart as well, standalones. Oh, wow. Uh, which will provide a hub-and-spoke type experience with more comprehensive service offerings for ancillary serviced and specialist services. So if we have a smaller clinic within the Walmart, that could be anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 square feet, we are going to have strategically open up and erect hubs that could be anywhere from 10,000 square feet up that would have a much broader array of service offerings, for example, a lab, diagnostics, physiotherapy, obviously primary health care, walk-in and family. We are looking to layer in different service offerings like med spa, uh, medical weight loss, and anything else that would fit that demographic area that might be a shortage of. Uh, Once you connect those two models where you have a large traffic base within our clinics at Walmart, and a even more broad referral base to the hubs that we erect that have larger uh, offerings. Yeah. yeah, you're pretty much building an excellent ecosystem in healthcare to provide more comprehensive experience. And again, these hubs in conjunction with our spoke models at uh, Walmart will mean that referrals will be instantaneous. They'll never be come back or we'll, you know, we'll see you Tuesday or, you know, next month for your referral for a physio or chiro or, or lab or anything of that matter. It'll be the doctor will make the recommendation, your referral will be executed same day, and you will have a much more comprehensive uh, healthcare experience. That's fantastic. Let's explore the experience to the patient a little bit more depth because, you know, it's a complicated idea. You can't just sort of say it in one sentence. And I know you have uh, a theme uh, at Jack Nathan, which is a circular healthcare experience. Can you explain what that is and how it works in practice? Sure. And when we talk circular healthcare experience, it really begins with ultimately the patient searching for a medical center or a health clinic that they need to use or bring their children or their loved ones for an interaction or an occurrence. And that could be on-site at one of our locations or a digital experience. But before we even get to them walking through the door or dialing up a doctor, you have to start with scheduling. And when you search for the doctor, you want to be able to have the peace of mind 
and in this world that we live in, that you can uh, at least execute a request for an appointment where you don't have to, you know, let your fingers do the walking and call around to 25 different clinics. We believe that's the entry point. More importantly, once we can register the patient, understand that they become part of that front-end ecosystem portal, the patient will have quite a caveat of opportunities from a service and product offering that could align to their pre-existing condition or ailment, provided they would like those recommendation engines. From there, the appointment is created, whether in-store or digitally, and the patient already is on their way to having a uh, very positive experience by having very few touch points to get to that point of interaction. After that, when the patient leaves and has their appointment, and whether it be digital or physical, we want to make sure that we keep in contact. And what that means is, how is your experience? Would you like to reschedule another appointment? Is there a referral that we can schedule for you? And from there, would you like to register your parents or a loved one or your entire family? And then what happens is, The patient, or in in this case, once they register with Jack Nathan Health and provide their intake and then are comfortable to the point where they want their whole family to have that experience or take care of a loved one, you complete the circle of care by now, including your closest ecosystem, your family, uh, to share the wonderful experience, but more importantly, to give you, the initiator, peace of mind that you have now utilized, for lack of a better word, a tool that helps you not just document what you're doing in healthcare, but provides you information on what you might not know and that you would be able to find out through the Jack Nathan Health application that we're building. So this overall experience then, that's the ultimate goal from a patient perspective that you're looking for, right? That rounded full experience that allows patients to have more information and and ease of access. Absolutely, absolutely. And be able to action what they need. Sure. How does the public offering fit into this? Does it enable you to expand? Is that, is that what was driving this? Or It does, actually. The public offering was incremental in allowing us to uh, look at other business organizations from an acquisition standpoint and now have better controls over how the patient experience is going to be translated. So, for example, before, when we were a private company, we were very limited on on what resources we could spend uh, on expansion inside and outside of the Walmart. Completing their, this circular healthcare experience involves a lot of heavy lifting, sure. involves a lot of different partnerships, involves a lot of different acquisitions in play that we would require, not just on the technology side, but the in-person experience side, so that ultimately we are contributing to better patient outcomes and a better patient healthcare experience, not just today, but for the future and well, for your family. Well, let, Very let, important to us. I'm sure. Now, I know you're a bit of a futurist. You have big plans and you, you have a vision uh, for healthcare in general and, and obviously specifically for the company. So let's talk about your vision for healthcare. And, and I know you, you build it on three pillars. So let's discuss that. Our vision is very simple and, and really it's taking care of your family, taking care of your immediate ecosystem. What we want to do is provide combined access to primary care physicians, okay? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, we're creating turnkey opportunities so that physicians have a better place to live. Now, not just for primary care physicians, for specialists and lifestyle healthcare practitioners nationally and internationally. 
Mm-hmm. We want to experience growth through expansion in Walmart, new standalone facilities, telemedicine, and of course, acquisitions. Creating a circular healthcare experience by connecting the patient community through technology for, as we mentioned, appointment scheduling, patient services, health and lifestyle product purchases, and here's the key, all physician recommended through our Jack Nathan Health app. Our vision will focus on the following three pillars, growth, connectivity, and community. So we just want to simplify it into what our mandates are and what our beliefs are. And you know what? The third one, community, getting that part right, everything else falls into place. Do you want to start with community then? You know what? We could. We've already touched on growth. Yeah. And we understand that we're going to grow from expansion in and out of Walmart, building out the standalones, acquiring technology pieces or creating them. Connectivity, well, again, connectivity is all how do we lay out the groundwork and then picture big bear hug arms. How do you wrap your arms around the entire infrastructure and make it connective and connect your family to that infrastructure? That is, again, how we complete the circle of care. The third pillar, community, you know, this is a very important one. Not just how to give back, but how to support the community. A lot of healthcare companies today, their focus is a, more of a real estate play. Ours is how do we provide the right services demographically for that community? More importantly, how do we make sure that in your current ecosystem, your family, and how that stretches out to your immediate friends and family that you interact with, and that's very important during these COVID times, how do you share that messaging, that health messaging? How do you share that consumer patient health experience and more importantly how does everybody in your immediate ecosystem contribute to make a better platform so that it's not just something that we're presenting out to you the consumer or the patient we want everybody to tell us how we can improve what services you may need we want to hear what the community is saying we want to hear loud and clear if we're missing something in our offering how we can provide it. And we'll figure out a way to provide it digitally or in person. And more importantly, how do we include your entire immediate family and your extended families? When you're talking about community and when you're talking about sort of having the clinics built in a way that benefits the community, I presume you mean like proximity and demographics. So like a clinic in the heart of Toronto would look very different than a clinic that's maybe in the suburbs or in a less populated area, right? Yeah, you have a much more condensed population base per, you know, per city block, I would imagine, in Toronto. Right. Our focus really is to build out the on-site medical centers to be mindful of the future. And what that means is we don't want to build multi-level buildings. Sure, ground ground access. You have it. Every ground access, parking available, uh, wheelchair access, centralized waiting rooms, all of the fun stuff that you would hope to see or you do see in a hospital experience without the wait times. Yes. And that's just it too, right? Like you're going to have to build out in a way that manifests for expected traffic, right? Because with the Jack Nathans that are adjacent to Walmart, there's the opportunity for people to sort of walk around and shop while they're waiting to see a doctor and then they can go and fill their prescriptions. But on the standalone clinics, it's got to operate a little differently. Your space has got to be used differently. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it has to be used efficiently, but more importantly, it has to be convenient for the patient and the patient's family to utilize the space. It has to work on the same elements where it's a multidisciplinary clinic 
like a small scale of a hospital, very small, operate with the efficiencies of transitioning a patient from department to department, instant referrals, as we mentioned, Mm -hmm. and more importantly, how does that rounded experience transcend after the patient leaves? What are the follow-ups completing that circle of care? It's a very, very big undertaking, involves a lot of heavy lifting. However, you know, we've got the pillars already in place. Yep. Now we have the horsepower to get it done through the public vehicle. Ultimately, completing that circular healthcare experience will allow every patient and everybody in their community, within their ecosystem, and their extended family to truly live their best life. Well, that's fantastic. Will you come back again another time and let us know how it's going? I could never say no to you, Jamie. (laughs) That was George Barica. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to improve your posture on the tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on CityLine, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoom and the Toronto Star, and she's become sort of a frequent guest on this show. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be a frequent guest on this show. It's such a fun show. Thank you. We're happy to have you. So today we're going to talk about something that I know is very near and dear to you, and that is posture. And I just sat up as I said that. (laughs) I hope that everyone sat up as they said that, because yeah, it's just something that I deal with literally almost on a daily basis. And now with this pandemic and all of us working from home and all the kids sitting around their computers all day, it has become a really major issue. Yeah, and and why is it so important? Why should we care whether we're slouching or not? One of the main things that I like to emphasize is your posture is how you present yourself to the world. And believe it or not, when someone new or someone we know is walking towards us, our brain subconsciously is doing a million little calculations about their body language. 
And posture is a huge part of that body language. So when we're sad, we have a different posture. When we're tired, we have a different posture. When we're energetic, raring to go, feeling very confident, we have a much generally straighter, open posture. So it's critical in that way. And then the other piece is if we ignore it, there are actual physical changes that start to happen in our spine and those will eventually lead to pain, which will be very difficult to deal with because your posture's with you kind of every minute of every day. Mm -hmm. And we really want to be aware of how to preserve it and make it as good as it possibly can be. Okay. So you say you deal with this every day. What are you seeing? What, What sort of posture problems are coming across your desk? Well, the most common right now is because people are working at laptops and you can kind of do a little experiment even on yourself. When you think about what you do, when you look at your laptop or at your computer, you slide your head forward. Mm-hmm. And it used to be okay when we didn't spend 8, 10, 12 hours staring at a screen. Yep. But once we started looking at our phone screens, you do the same thing with your phone screen. Yep. And once we, you know, our days were just filled with these screens, our chin kind of juts forward and our head starts to sit forward. Now, the crazy part of that is that eventually the bones in your spine do start to change and go into that position. And that's when we start to run into some really serious problems and and some serious pain. So it'll start to feel like you'll feel that aching kind of in between your shoulders, but then you're going to advance into things like osteoarthritis of your spine, and you're going to start to lose some range of motion and lose some function in your spine. Plus, it doesn't look great. You start to lose some height, and you're always walking around with your head sticking forward, which we don't want. So I thought a lot of the driver of this was the cell phone hunch, right? Like when we're sort of like stooped over the phone. Mm -hmm. I've solved the problem on my desk. I have the biggest screen imaginable. Amazing. My kids make fun of me for that reason and others. And so like, I'm not leaning forward into the laptop. I learned that like looking at most laptop screens is, is really a recipe for all sorts of maladies, including poor eyesight. So yes, yes, you're absolutely right. So it's very smart. So don't just ignore your kids when they're making fun of you because you know the right answer to this is that if you can sit back and almost lean back in your chair and then you can see your screen while you're working, that is amazing. And, and yeah. that's the posture that we really want to be in. And if you think about your vertebrae, you know, there's about 24 little bones there and they're all stacked one on top of the other, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's how they like to be. They like to be stacked and they like to be straight. And then we have these natural curves that go through our spine. But if we keep repeating bad postures over and over again, that stacking starts to go all haywire. And that is where we run into these problems. Another really common situation that I see is is something called upper cross syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it starts with that head forward posture. But then also what happens is we can all feel this happening to ourselves is our shoulders start to kind of cave in a bit. So they start to round forward. And then the problem moves down the spine. So the first problem I was talking about, head forward, is more our cervical spine. The second problem with this upper cross starts to go into our thoracic spine. And what happens is our pec muscles, which are the big ones in the front, start to get really tight. So pec major, pec minor. And then our shoulders start to move forward. And then we kind of start to get that hunched 
posture that I'm sure so many of us are seeing on our teenagers right now because we're watching them, you know, bent over their PS4s and bent over their computers. And it is really becoming a challenging problem for us to deal with. So we know what's causing it, and it's the devices for the most part, yes. and, and our sedentary lifestyle sitting in chairs in front of computers and TVs, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So what can we do to help it so that we, we don't end up all looking like hunched over and, <laughs> and chin forward, you know? That's the million-dollar question. It is. Okay. The one thing that I really emphasize is taking breaks in the day. So every 20 minutes, we want to stand up. And so say that you have a job where, you know, you're on a computer a bit, but then you have to take phone calls, and and part of what you do is on your phone, and try to stand up Mm -hmm. every time that you take a call or, you know, set a timer. Standing up starts to correct everything because it's very hard to stand straight and still stick our head forward. It feels uncomfortable. So standing up is great. I think that that is one of your really important things. I also want you to think about what do you do for your exercise? So if you're spending lots of time bent over a computer, please don't repeat the same posture in your exercise. So maybe spin class is not for you. Or maybe when you're on the bike, you have to be really careful about doing a lot of straight upright stuff. Maybe running, because running kind of repeats that same posture. When we run, we do shift our head forward a little bit. Maybe you want to think about things like getting a rowing machine, Uh or maybe you do your your warm-up on a rowing machine just to kind of balance things out, and then you get on your spin bike and do your spin class. But you always have to think about how many hours did I spend hunched forward. Now I need to do some exercises to get things opened up. I love things like wall angels, so where you kind of put your back against the wall and you open your arms as wide as you can. Mm -hmm. I like lots of the yoga moves, downward dog, those types of things. Even just a forward bend where you're hanging and kind of lengthening all those muscles and opening your spine up. I love that. I love Dr. Stuart McGill has a whole series like some of them are called Dead Bug and Bird Dog and Planks. I love all of those because... Really, it's a battle between your muscles and kind of what are you doing during the day. So if our muscles are really strong, when we look at athletes, we don't see these problems, right? Because their muscles are strong enough to kind of counteract their time that they spend on their devices. Versus the rest of us, as we get deconditioned, because we're not training as much, our muscles aren't quite strong enough to maintain the perfect posture that we're going for. And then we start to run into the pain as well, because, you know, we just keep repeating those same motions over and over again. Yeah. So, I, you know, as I get older, once I hit 50, I realized that I had to sort of swap out the spinning mm-hmm. for more strength training, getting your core nice and strong and making sure you're exercise, you know, using strength training for your back as well, flies and things like that. And I actually went out and I got a rowing machine. Did you're so smart. Aren't I though? And <laughs> that's sort of supplanted my running. I, I can't run anymore for other reasons, but you know, less running, less spinning, more rowing and more weight training. So I'm actually doing two or three weight training classes or sessions a week and rowing three times a week. And that seems to make a world of difference. Yeah, you're doing exactly what I would recommend because I'm sure that your weight training involves some of those exercises. So just to give you an example, like the rowing and all the things. So when we hit the weight room, 
we don't want to be bench press and bicep no. curls no. and all those things because those are the same muscle groups that are getting tight. Instead, we want to go over to the rowing machine and we want to work on our deadlifts and all no. the muscles on our back body, like our glutes and our hamstrings and those types of things because that's what's going to help us straighten up. I always say save your chest work and your bicep work, which are all the ones that we used to love to do, right? Like crunches and the working on the six-pack and all that. Yep. Those ones these days really aren't your best choices, and they're definitely not the best choices to start your workout. Like if, if you say, okay, I love bench press, and I'm kind of like this. Like bench is one of my most favorite exercises. But I save it till the end so that I've kind of opened my chest up during all the other stuff, during all the rowing and doing the deadlifts and that type of thing. So I've got good posture before I sit down and try to do the bench press. And I think that's a really good strategy. Winter's coming. Another really awesome activity that works your back is cross-country skiing. Yeah. I used to do that as a kid, but I haven't in, in years and years and years. But it was always a great workout. Very aerobic, too. It's one of the absolute best workouts for your posture and it's fantastic for aerobics and it's not hard on your body mm -hmm. and i feel like there's going to be a really big rush on all the winter gear i right agree now. i agree yeah no it's true snowshoes so maybe, and skis maybe when and... this interview's over maybe we should all like kind of get online or get out and get our ski pants and get our gear because we're going to need it this winter without a doubt last question for you and that is if we have posture problems are they fixable can we reverse the bad trends they are absolutely fixable, yes. So we want to get to work on it as soon as possible. It's very easy to fix them in teenagers. It gets much harder when you're heading into your 80s and 90s, mm -hmm. but they are always fixable. It's just the more you've sat that way, the harder the work is, okay? But mm -hmm. nothing is permanent when it comes to this type of stuff because people don't realize our bones actually change, the ligaments change, the muscles definitely change. So we can do this. It just requires an effort and a kind of a constant concentration on what am I doing, how am I sitting, and how are these things all coming together. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure, Jamie. Take care. That was Dr. Stacy Irvine. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the natural approach to thyroid health on the tonic. Gentlemen, are prostate problems spoiling your day or waking you up at night? Ladies, are you tired of these disruptions? Discover Prostate Perform. Formulated with clinically proven natural ingredients, Prostate Perform helps reduce the frequency and urgency of men's bathroom breaks. Why wait? Prostate Perform relieves symptoms of BPH in men so you can both get back to enjoying your favorite activities. Available exclusively at quality health food stores. To learn more, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. And to ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Dr. Emily Lipinski graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, Ontario, and is a member of the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors. While in the academic world, Emily became fascinated with the potential applications of naturopathic medicine in health and wellness. She strongly believes in addressing the root cause of medical issues and using natural therapies either alone or in conjunction with conventional Western medicine. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. So we are right in your wheelhouse right now. This is your primo expertise, and you have a book coming out very shortly about this and other topics. So I thought we should talk about thyroid health. You up for it? Awesome. I'd love to. Okay, so let's, for those who don't know, it's a bit of a primer. What is the thyroid gland and why is it so important to our health? It's located right in your neck. It's a little tiny butterfly-shaped organ, no bigger than about two centimeters in length. But it's extremely important because it pumps out certain hormones that literally affect every single cell in the body. So commonly when people are suffering from low levels of thyroid hormones, when the thyroid's not functioning properly, they start to feel really tired. Sometimes they have really low blood pressure. They have constipation. They have, you know, trouble going to the bathroom. Even things like dry hair, skin, and nails are common. And again, that's because the thyroid gland's not producing enough hormones for all these different cells in their body, which causes everything to slow down and people feel really unwell. Okay. So is this a common thing, this low-functioning thyroid, or is it relatively rare? It's actually becoming more and more common. In North America now, it's thought that one in eight, between, depending on the statistics you look at, between one to six or one in eight women will eventually develop a thyroid condition in their lifetime. Hmm. And the majority of those thyroid conditions are the low-functioning or hypothyroidism. It does affect men as well, but not nearly as much. And is it a function of getting older? Or is it, are people prone to it? Or how does it come about? Well, this is the common misconception is years ago, they thought that, you know, low functioning thyroid was just part of getting older, that the thyroid gland, you know, the metabolism slows down as you get right. older, you gain a little bit of weight, maybe you feel cold, the organs are slowing. But now we know that that's actually not the full picture. And in about 80 to 90% of cases of low functioning thyroid, it's actually due to the development of an autoimmune disease. And we know that many autoimmune diseases, including lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, are actually at an all-time high. They're really, really increasing in our society. And so part of the issue with the thyroid gland now, obviously, if 80% to 90% of the cause of hypothyroidism is we can't just really look at the thyroid. The thyroid gland in itself may be okay. It's that the body is starting to attack the thyroid gland. And why is that? Okay. So has anybody identified why autoimmune diseases are on the increase? Is it just that we're able to diagnose them better or is it really a change in the way we're living? Well, it's probably partially because of diagnostic tools. And we know now some of the newest and up-and-coming research shows that in order to have autoimmune disease, you really have to have three factors in place. Okay. The first one is you need a genetic disposition. Some people know they're very prone. You know, sometimes their patients will say, oh, you know, my grandfather and my mother and my sister, we all, they all had rheumatoid arthritis. I'm obviously at risk of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a genetic predisposition and no one knows it's been hidden in the gene pool. So they might have inherited a gene that hasn't really shown or it may have not been properly diagnosed in a family member. The second is there needs to be a trigger 
for an autoimmune disease. And the triggers are ubiquitous. It's chemicals that we breathe in every day, you know, car, exhaust, fumes. We can't avoid these things. Some of them are, you know, the increased pollutants in our water. Some of the triggers we can avoid, such as cigarette smoking or increased consumption of Western food, also some medications are triggers. And some of the medications are ones that aren't used very commonly. Other medications that can be triggers are things that are used more commonly, like NSAIDs and oral birth control pills. But that being said, just like smoking, someone could smoke, you know, 50 years and be healthy, and then you have someone that smoked for two years, develops lung cancer, and dies. So, you know, we have to have genetic preposition, exposure to triggers, and then the third commonality is something called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So that topic's kind of been on the rise lately. Mm-hmm. And what leaky gut essentially means is that it's not that the gut's actually leaking out substance, but the gut has cells on the side of it called tight junctions. And when someone's gut, quote-unquote, becomes leaky, those tight junctions open a bit. So things that should be getting into the, typically wouldn't get into the bloodstream, like antigens from food that you eat, do kind of seep out. The antigen causes the body to identify it and say, we need to make an antibody to this. This is an evader, and they make an immune complex that causes inflammation and then triggers autoimmune disease. Okay, so let's talk about this last trigger a little bit, the leaky gut, okay? So are people prone to this as well, or is this something that comes about? Can you catch leaky gut? How does that work? You can't catch it. Previously, they thought there was a genetic component. It turns out that there's not. But again, leaky gut increased risk with some of those triggers like we talked about too, the Western diet, the long-term use of NSAIDs or birth control pills, high amounts of stress, cigarette smoking, those also increase your risk of developing a leaky gut. But again, someone could have leaky gut and no genetic predisposition and not develop autoimmune disease. But there's those three factors that all need to be in place for autoimmune disease to really start. Now that we know what it is and who is prone to get it, is there anything that we can do to reduce the risk of actually getting to the point where we have a, a thyroid problem? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I'd say if, you know, if you think that you have a thyroid problem, I've seen this in practice, you know, for as long as I've been practicing. And I have patients come in and say, you know, I have all the symptoms of thyroid disease. My doctor says my thyroid hormone is normal. What's going on? And part of that is that these antibodies that form that attack the thyroid are elevated in the bloodstream for at least five years before thyroid hormones start to change sometimes. So there's two main antibodies that can be checked, TPO and TGAB, and most doctors can run them. A lot of naturopaths run them, endocrinologists run them. You can always ask your doctor to run those if you feel like you have thyroid symptoms and you're not being properly addressed or your TSH seems to still be normal. If you do have the antibodies, then you want to start working on the gut right away. So you doing things to help reduce the progression of autoimmune disease by healing the gut. So having a whole foods diet, reducing stress levels. If you're using NSAIDs every day, like some people do, you know, talk to your doctor about is there any other options or is there something natural or can I be doing maybe some physiotherapy or physical exercise to reduce or meditation mindfulness to reduce my pain levels so I don't need these medications every day. And that same goes even if you don't have symptoms of hypothyroidism, you know you have a genetic predisposition, you want to make sure that you're targeting a healthy gut. 
Okay, so let's say we've identified the problem and we're working on the gut. Does that mean we can reverse the situation or are we just slowing down the inevitable thyroid problem? So again, years ago, it was thought that thyroid is irreversible, but I have seen cases now where, including myself, I'm essentially in remission of autoimmune hypothyroidism. So I used to have very, very elevated antibodies, which conventionally were said, once you have antibodies, they'll always remain at those levels. And now my antibodies are negative. So, you know, in my case and in a lot of other patients' cases that I've seen, we have been able to at least reverse the attack on the thyroid gland. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll be able to avoid medication forever, but you'll probably be able to avoid, you know, like continual increases of medication or continual adverse symptoms because you kind of nip the root cause in the butt being in the gut. Okay, so if you don't mind me asking, you know, I think it would be helpful for our listeners, what sort of things are you doing to sort of stem the tide? Like, I presume it's manageable, right? It is. So first and foremost, you know, you want to be looking at taking out all those triggers that you're able to take out. So right. you don't want to be eating that Western food. If you're smoking, you should stop. If, you know, if you know you're exposed to chemicals on a chronic basis, even from healthcare, beauty products, you should stop that. Then second is, you know, for most of my patients, I use a natural supplement to help heal the gut lining and regrow the gut lining. The three top ones I use, one called L-glutamine or slippery elm or marshmallow root, are all things that have been evidence-based shown to help heal and repair the gut tissue. Then we want to make sure we're replenishing the gut with good things like probiotics, which there's certain types of probiotics that are more beneficial specifically for gut health. And then the other caveat is making sure that there's no low-grade chronic infections in the gut, which we know we can test with a stool test to see if there's things like streptococcus or staph that we typically think of skin infections or throat infections, but some infections can actually get stored in the gut and we can treat those infections with antibiotics or natural remedies, which can also help reduce the inflammation and kind of reduce the chance of leaky gut progressing. Okay, time for one last question, and that is, if somebody thinks that they may be developing a thyroid problem, what would you recommend to them? What are first steps? So again, you want to get all those markers of your thyroid test run. So not just the conventional TSH, which is commonly run here in Ontario. You want to look for your thyroid antibody. If they are elevated, you know that that's a very good indicator that you have intestinal permeability or leaky gut, and you want to be working with someone that can help heal the gut and using dietary interventions, natural supplements, potentially looking at chronic infections that could be causing the leaky gut and the continuation of leaky gut. And also working on stress reduction, which is a key part of, I think, probably any disease management, but we know it's really important to healing autoimmune disease as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Next month, you're going to come back and we're going to discuss IBS, yes? Yes. Fantastic. That was Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss whether COVID-19 has killed Toronto on the tonic. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine and Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. If you're going through a separation or divorce, 
Call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Mitchell Abrahams is the principal of the Benvenuto Group. He's a real estate professional with over 25 years experience in commercial and multifamily residential real estate. He's converted apartments into condominiums and developed condominium and apartment projects. And it's been a long time since we've had him on the show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm dealing with this notion that is sort of pervading and that is that COVID-19 will be the death of Toronto, that it's going to kill the city. And, you know, there's been a lot written about it, pros and cons on this thought. So I thought I'd bring somebody who's in the know on the show and we can sort of think about it. What do you think about that idea? I am so proud of Toronto coming through this pandemic that I have uh, absolutely no concern about the future of Toronto. There may be other parts of the world that are struggling in different ways, but I can't wait to get out the other side of this. Yeah, I think everybody feels that way. For those who don't know exactly what I'm talking about, the narrative is that there's sort of an exodus from the city, that people are either frightened to stay in the city because of the higher COVID numbers, or I guess it's because they're not working in office buildings anymore, so they're working from home, so they feel that maybe they're going to leave the city for more land. Is that what you're hearing? I think that there's an undertone to that for sure. But, you know, COVID's a very new thing. And the natural reaction for all of us is to sort of not sleep well, be fearful, consider the impacts. And, um, you know, we've all heard stories of people staying at their cottage for the summer if they have a place where they can hang out to be away from this all. And thinking of moving out of the city, you know, some of it, I'm sure, is a reaction to lots of people, especially young professionals, live in small confines, right? They've bought a condo near work, and uh, not only are they nervous about uh, being in an environment where they're so close to so many people when they ride an elevator or uh, go to the gym, but they're also stuck in their apartment with nowhere to go. So I'm sure that that has an impact as well, and it's a lot more comfortable to be somewhere with more space. You know, that said... You know, and again, we're all learning about this every day. I think 60 days ago in the States, everyone was talking about cities. And now we see that this, you know, uh, pandemic's finding its way into rural areas. And uh, and some of those rural areas are much less equipped to sort of uh, deal with rising hospital uh, counts. So I'm not even sure that what we thought 60 days ago was a key theme to what people are thinking is relevant today. Right. And, you know... The kind of problems that the virus and the protocols are causing, I think, 
I mean, I still think of them as being temporary. I'm not prepared to accept that, you know, this is the new normal, whatever that's going to look like. But it surely it can't be this. Like, yeah, I get it. You can't send people to work in the 40th floor of one of the towers downtown because it's impossible to social distance and get everybody into their offices during normal business hours. And I get that, you know, the public transit isn't going to be as efficient because of social distancing. But, you know, surely we're going to be able to take steps forward such that these issues will melt away. I don't know. That's my take on it. Free Zakaria seems to be someone who's gotten really passionate about studying this and reading yeah. about it and talking about it. And, you know, as a starting point, I like when he goes back in history. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 1400s, you know, Florence was uh, decimated with the bubonic plague. Yes. And everyone said, this is the death of the city. And 50 years later, it was the start of the Renaissance, and, and uh, Florence uh, flourished into sort of one of the leading capitals of the world. I have yet, even the, you know, the 1918 pandemic, when people talk about it, the next thing I think about when you hear 1918 is the Roaring Twenties, right? These things fade into the background, and they're very, you know, hurtful as they're going on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what causes the destruction of a city. I just see it. I don't know about you, but my own career, I remember back to being a young professional, Mm-hmm. First company I worked for, we were in office space in a big old house in downtown Montreal. And most of what I learned, I learned by happenstance and meetings on the landings, crossing by someone more senior who was, you know, a natural mentor and having a conversation and saying, I'm having a problem with this and having a 10 minute conversation. Yep. That interaction is so important, both in terms of business and socially. I keep on thinking that uh, you and I should own a sports bar in 12 months from now because <laughs> exactly once this is gone, I can't imagine that people aren't going to want to go back and be in a room where uh, 150 people jump up and down when somebody scores a goal. Yeah, except you're you're a Canadians fan, and I'm I'm all about the Raptors. So I don't know. Can we get along? Can we have that? I, uh, I'm an adopted Raptors fan, so I'm, okay. I'm an easy guy to get along with. We Fair. just got to pick our games. Fair enough. And I think an extension of what you're saying is. Look, you know, both of us work in the corporate realm and it's one thing to maintain your business remotely. It's one thing to get staff to continue doing what they're doing. And maybe you can function at a certain level, 70 percent, 80 percent, you know, over a short period of time with efficiencies. But it's impossible to take on new projects. It's impossible to onboard somebody into a new company with logistically just with by doing it remotely. I mean, it's not conducive to business. It just adds layers of cost and and it can't be done. It just can't. And you're talking about the corporate side of it. And the other side of it is the personal side. If you're a young professional in any field, where do you get your mentoring? How do you get your mentoring? How do you promote yourself? How do you learn from people who have more experience than you? Right. Uh, I always joke that when I lived in Montreal as an English speaking person, when I was in a boardroom in a French meeting, I could understand everything that was being said, but I couldn't tell a joke or read the room the same way to be able to convince people to like me or to be mad at me or whatever. Right. And those nuances happen in person. Of course. Uh, right? And I think every business transaction it is more than just the, the dollars and cents. It's meeting people. It's building relationships both internally and with your competitors and with people you're trying to do business with. And I think this is a really hard thing to do remotely. And I, like you say, I think you can keep up relationships and keep the ball rolling. But I think to flourish, people need to interact. They need to be creative. They need to help each other. They need to compete. And I can't see how we do that remotely. Maybe there's a place for it for a certain part of people who are doing more administrative type of roles. And I could yeah. see back office accounting. Perhaps people say, well, there's a cost-cutting way to sure. do this if we do it more remotely. 
But the key drivers of cities are people involved in those more creative and finance-related industries, and I don't see them going anywhere. I agree. And again, when you look at a global level, you know, the top 100 cities in the world, I was reading a while ago, contribute 38% of global GDP. Cities are huge drivers to the world economy, and I just think when you look back, they're just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Let's explore that a little bit further. When you're talking about cities who are so intrinsic to the economy, like particularly a city like Toronto, which I bet you is responsible for even more than 38% of the GDP for Canada, just because of all the head offices that are here and and, and the nature of the work that gets done here, like it's a world-class city. And that is even a higher stratum. Like those don't just melt away overnight either. There's a reason you become world-class in an international city. And if we're talking about world-class cities is one thing, but if we are talking about Toronto, you know, I think all levels of government have done a pretty commendable job in our country through this thing. Yep. Canadians are a lot more willing to follow rules and pull together, and we get it much more than when you watch CNN and see what's going on in parts of the states. But I do think that part of the solution is going to be that when we have a vaccine and we come out the other side of this, there are a lot of people from around the world who would like to live here. And part of the solution probably is an increased immigration policy. So I think we're going to see more and more people flocking to a place that's done well through a pandemic and is known as multicultural and uh, forward thinking. I just think there's a great future for this city. Yeah. And, you know, so the the flip side of that is, is when you're leaving the city, it may not be apparent what you're actually giving up. You know, there are hidden costs to going into the suburbs and, and still finding your work in Toronto. Like, you know, there's the actual cost of having perhaps to have an extra automobile or maybe you didn't have one before, but you definitely need one if you're coming into the city. Or at a minimum, you're increasing your travel time from your home to your work office, which means your quality of life is going to change and, and your ability to do other things outside of work is going to change. So, you know, there's a lot. And, you know, that doesn't even speak to the issue of all the cultural institutions that you would find in a big city that you don't get in a smaller center. So, I, you know, I'm sure there are a few people who figure out the New York lifestyle of my family lives on Long Island. Yeah. I have an apartment in downtown Manhattan and I'm there from Monday night till Thursday night. And uh, then I come home and my family's in a more rural setting because I don't want my kids growing up in the hustle bustle of a big city. Right. But I can't see that being more than a handful of people. Well, it's an expensive lifestyle, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise, you know, I think people, I don't know, I think they really have to turn their minds to, to what leaving Toronto really looks like. Like, I get it. You get a bigger backyard. But I, I'm not sure that the quality of life is necessarily better outside of it. I don't know. I think the other thing we're going to take away from this is when you look at cities like Hong Kong and Singapore, where they've hardly had any deaths from this, Yeah, that there is a way to prepare better. And I don't think that it would be smart for us to just think that this isn't going to happen again. I think we're I going agree. to see changes in the way that people approach future pandemics, the way that they evolve the healthcare system to give people a lot of confidence that something to this extent is going to be much uh, more muted because we've been through this and we learned from it. Yeah, I hope that's the case. I hope that we actually learn our lessons and are better prepared next time, because I agree with you. I think this is just the latest round. I think we'll do better next time. I hope we will. I'm sure we will. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Good to talk to you. 
Thanks to all my wonderful guests, George Barakat, Dr. Stacey Irvine, Dr. Emily Lipinski, ND, and Mitchell Abrahams. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com, and I really do enjoy getting your emails. Next week on the show, we'll discuss prostate health, technology for better sleep, colon health, and wound care during COVID-19. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.